0: It's been a busy, busy day, but I am super excited for the next thirty minutes. And welcome to the Unified CXM experience. As always, I'm Grad Khan, your host and Chief Experience Officer at Sprinkler, and as usual, I welcome. Neha, our breath yogi. Hi Neha, how are you?
1: Good. Hi, how was your week?
0: It was it's been a really intense week and it was a short week. You know, we had the Mm -hmm. the July fourth holiday and I don't I don't quite know what's going on, but it was it's been, um, it's been um, a bit frantic. I'm really looking forward to this. <laughs> this time, actually, is, I need to do some breathing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's like this great movie. I can't remember what the movie's called, but it's like Bill Murray's in it. And, it's, uh, and he's a psychiatric patient, and he's like keeps sort of hunting his um, psychiatrist. Do you remember what it's called, Randy? Is what that about Bob? What about Bob? And this and he's like, this psychiatrist has given him. I think he's a psychiatrist or a psychologist, but I think he's, I think it's maybe it's a psychologist. And, uh, and he's given Bill Murray's character these like mantras to try to keep him from losing his mind. And and he said, just you know, just think about like, just take one baby step at a time, right? Just one baby step at a time. Don't worry about trying to get all the way there. And so Bill Murray's waiting for four o'clock to roll around. I can't remember why. And he's, he's standing. There, oh, Baby steps at four o'clock. Baby steps at four o'clock. Baby steps at four o'clock. Baby steps to four o'clock. It's like, can he, like even more frantic. I kind of feel like that's the way that week spin. It's been a baby steps at four o'clock kind of oh week. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah. Like what you get tense just does. thinking about it, right? Oh you know, <laughs> no. like, Oh boy. Oh. Okay. So uh, so let's 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 calm it all down. I think we need a calming. Mm-hmm. Quick. Let's do a quick calming breath exercise. And then today, I want to talk about humility. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, the, I want to get into that. I think that'll be a good topic for today. But. Uh, Let's do baby steps to
1: let's get before breathing
0: or something. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. Okay. Let's get started. Let's sit with our spine straight, shoulders relaxed, feet firmly on the ground, and palms open to the ceiling. And we'll just do a few full abdominal breaths. So let's close the eyes, and on my count, through the nose, breathe in. Two three, four, breathe in till your collarbones lift up, hold the breath and as you breathe out, gently pull the navel in towards the spine, make your waist tiny, breathe out fully and let's continue a few more rounds, breathe in, two, three, four, till your collarbones lift up, exhale, two, three, four. Five, six. In, two, three, four. Out, two, three, four, five, six. three, four. Five, six. Just three more rounds. Breathe in. Let the air expand the belly fully. Breathe into the chest. Exhale. Two, three, four. Five, six, in, two, three, four, out, two, three, four, five, six, last one, breathe in, two, three, four, out, two, three, four, five, Six and relax. Keep your eyes closed for a moment. Let's take a moment to fully arrive in the present. Become aware of your surroundings, the sounds in the environment. Become aware of what's happening in your body. Become aware of what's happening in the mind right this moment. And when you're ready, you can slowly open the
0: eyes. That was great. I like that. All right. So let me start with, uh, with some facts,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and then I'll relate a quick story of my own, and then we'll just kind of have a an open discussion here. What well, I, I love, I love our discussions. We just we don't have a script. We don't even necessarily know what we're going to talk about until a few minutes before we start the show. I really love that. We've had some of the best conversations. So um, there was a study, this is a few years ago, but there was a a study that was done of CEOs. And they actually were looking at high-performing CEOs. So they looked at companies whose stock price had risen a certain percentage over a long period of time, like 20% a year, over five years, like Long sustained performance in the stock, and uh, in an in increasing stock. So, uh, generally, you'd attribute that to the CEO uh, and his and his or her leadership. And so, what the study was trying to do is trying to determine what makes a great CEO. You know, is she an engineer? Or is he, uh, you know? former athlete is she you know great with math you know they, all sorts of different ways of thinking about it so they came up with I think 60 different attributes and the number sticks in my mind it might have been 61 or 62 and they kind of completed it for all these ceos and it was good as a large number of ceos as well and they're trying to find what was in common what, what did they have in common what did top performing CEOs all have in common? Right. And it was an amazing study. What they found is that none of the things you would expect—education, um, you know, where you're from—like there's there's a whole long list of things that you potentially guess were highly associated with success. None of them were. None of them were consistent. There's, there's no there's no way to find see those as being operating. Except for one thing. And the one thing that they found that was common across all the CEOs was that they were all described by others as having a high degree of humility. I hmm. was so interesting. Very humble. And they were like humble servants. And that was, in the study's conclusion is that there's a lot of things that CEOs have in their toolkit. And... Many different things seem to work. But one thing that's not replaceable is humility. And a top-performing CEO. Not to say that there aren't a lot of CEOs out there that are anything but humble, but but the top-performing ones all had a great degree of humility. So I've always found that uh, compelling and striking. And it was interesting for me watching the turnover from... Uh, Steve to Satya at, at Microsoft. And uh, I'm a huge Steve Ballmer fan. I think Steve, I've talked about this before on the show, I think Steve has been very unfairly treated. I'm sure he's I mean, he's fine. Um, but he's been very unfairly treated by the media and by a lot of, a lot of people in the industry. Uh, I think Steve's brilliant and a, a big part of the reason Microsoft became what it was and If it wasn't for steve microsoft would not have survived the 21st century he he's the one that started azure he's the one that started office 365 he's the one that started surface like all that got going under his stewardship yeah made some mistakes but my gosh you know come on Uh, there's like you know he did a lot of things really well so big steve fan but you know he was he was a polarizing figure and that was maybe maybe his achilles heel Satya came in, and and Satya has such an amazing amount of humility. And there's two quotes from him that I thought were really powerful. At an early town hall, and Satya holds a town hall in Building 99 uh, once a month. Building 99 is one of the research buildings at Microsoft and has a glass ceiling over a large interior atrium. It's a gorgeous building. And uh, so he sort of sits on a, a very low dais in the middle so people can see him. And then he just takes questions. Like There's nothing prepared. He just, just stands there and takes questions. And the questions aren't pre-screened or anything. And they could be quite challenging questions. The engineers will really whip some fastballs at him. And, uh, and he's, he's game for anything. So once one time someone asked him, how do you deal with a bad day? Because obviously he must have Bad days. Things don't go well at home. He, just, you know, your car won't start. Like All the stuff that normally happens to everybody, he's got to have that stuff happen to him. And how does he deal with it and how does he manage it? And he um, pursed his lips, kind of, kind of put his fingers together kind of in a steeple and he kind of thought about it for a second and then he sort of just leaned forward very gently and said, being a CEO is a great job and an incredible honor. And I get to do a lot of things that I could, not even, I could, only, I could not, not even imagine when I was younger. But there's one thing I can't do, which is I can't have a bad day. Oh, wow. Good answer. <laughs> I love that. I can't afford to have a bad day. And you know, he's very, very true. Like you walk into a meeting with Satya, he's always the same. You know that thing where you're not sure how someone's going to be? Like, he was always the same, was so great. He always had a very, you know, clearly we get angry at times and things would go wrong, et cetera, but boy, he had a lot of control over his emotions. And the other thing that um, was also, I thought, and he was a, he's, he's a very humble leader, and the other thing I thought that was very interesting was when he first came on board, and he he did a series of emails restructuring the company and re structuring the mindset of the company. And those emails are actually publicly available on the microsoft.com website. You can actually go and download them. They're a case study in organizational transformation. I'd recommend to everybody read them. They're amazing. So his first email, he said, we have become a culture of know-it-alls. And a culture of know-it-alls is, is not helpful. It's no fun working inside Culture of know-it-alls, and our customers didn't really enjoy the way we were treating them either. And it was, it was bad for the company. It was bad for the employees. It was bad for the customers. It was just terrible. And what he said is, we need to become a culture of learn-it-alls. And what I thought was so brilliant about that is that there is one characteristic of Microsoft people is that they do pride themselves on their intelligence, and it's you know full of really smart people. So there's sort of the, the the coin the sort of two-sided coin and. One side of a smart person is they can sometimes come off as a know-it-all, but the other side of a smart person is they do like to learn. Mm. And so I thought he very brilliantly, instead of saying, we need to be this kind of culture or something completely different, he very brilliantly kept the same coinage of the company, but he just twisted it a little bit. No, not f- need to tell how many, everybody how much you know. Tell them how much you've learned. And then they actually changed the incentive systems in, the, um, in your employee evaluation. And you got evaluated on three things, and they were equally weighted, which was, what had you given to someone else? What had you contributed to someone else? What had you done yourself? What accomplishments had you done yourself? And what have you stolen from someone else? Hmm. What idea did you take from someone else and use on your business? It's really amazing. Like, no one had ever... And that's how we were being evaluated. Just out of the blue, it was very interesting. And and then he modeled it. So he started taking classes at the University of Washington on the, like, I think, cognitive behavior. Like it was some super sophisticated class, and he was doing so. And so he modeled the, the learn it all behavior himself. And it was quite a, quite amazing to watch. And it was amazing to see how it changed the company. Uh, literally overnight. And all the people who were there were the same people who were there the week before, but suddenly everyone started behaving differently. It was quite amazing. So that's sort of the topic for me today. I haven't had a chance to actually talk about Satya and I probably should spend a bit more time on the podcast talking about what it was like working in the company when you first came on board because it was pretty, it was a pretty amazing transformation, but let's talk about humility and leadership. And, you I feel like there's sort of Leaders who are humble, and then I also feel like there's leaders who brag about how humble they are. Do you know I mean? mm-hmm. And you know, and and how do you find humility in life, and how do you stay humble in the face of success, and in the face of everyone telling you how amazing you are? They they can be. I fortunately do not have that problem, but uh, it can be tough, you know. There's, um, there's another one more story actually, because it just, just hit me as I said that. Um, there's a, I think this is true. It may be apocryphal, but apparently in Rome, when a conquering general returned to the city, they would get this, um, you know, a golden headdress, you know, the laurel leaves, and they would. The laurel used to be sort of presented to them and put on their head, and they would be in a chariot drawn by four horses, and they would parade through the streets of Rome and be cheered by all the citizens of Rome for their victory.
1: Hmm. And
0: apparently they would put a person behind the general Hmm. in in the chariot, and as the general went down the street to the cheering throngs of Romans, the person in the chariot with him, would whisper in his ear you are mortal and one day you Mm. will die
1: Mm.
0: just to keep them humble
1: Mm.
0: Uh, so i don't know if that's a true story or not i love that story though i think it's a great story but uh, anyway so let's talk about it a bit so what's your experience you you had a chance to work with a lot of different business leaders and you i have i'm sure you've seen the range of humility from very to not very. Mm. what's your observation on this
1: Yeah, and I think, um, you know, it's a very rare combination to have humility and confidence.
0: Mm, Interesting.
1: To be humble, yet be confident. Usually what you see is people who are very confident, they're not that humble, or people who are very, very humble, and then they don't have enough confidence. So the data that you shared is not a surprise to me because... CEOs are like the brain of an organization. They have a lot of authority. They all have a lot of power. They also have a lot of responsibility. And it's not a shock that they were humble. And they also have to be very, very confident. It's a rare skill. And it's something that we can absolutely cultivate. And I think one of the ways to do that is, you know, because talking about CEOs, people expect them to show up confidently they ex- they're mm. expected to be leaders you know yeah. they everybody wants to be when the when you think about a ceo the term that comes to my mind is leader right somebody who's leading has a vision is has the ability to rally people towards the common mission and a vision and people trust the ceos to have a vision bigger than you know their individual vision and so CEOs are expected to be confident, to know what they're doing, to to believe in themselves, their vision, and make other people believe. So it's not unexpected that they can come across and forget the humble part uh, in the process of, you know, becoming and showing up as someone who's confident. And I think it takes tremendous emotional intelligence to remain humble at the same time, but be confident and One of the ways I think I've coached people and, you know, I'm not a big CEO, but I remember that is, you know, if you can have a bigger perspective on your life, like close to what that, you know, that little story about Rome, you said, the person whispering in the ear that you're mortal is what in a way giving that uh, general, like, Hey, remember the big picture. Okay. This is not life. You're going to die one day. But uh, I would You know, not look at it that way, but rather even zoom back. Like there are mil, there's so many galaxies and then there's one Milky Way. And then in Milky Way, there's like one universe, like this universe and this earth. And in earth, you're like so many countries and there's so many CEOs and you're just one CEO out of all the thousands of CEOs. So if you can remember like how. Quill. that's a bit humbling <laughs> yeah, like, if you can remember that you are
0: that. a speck of dust <laughs> Like,
1: yeah like really otherwise you know you have that when people lose their humility it's like everything revolves around me right like I yeah, don't yeah. do this I have to do this so if you can remember like god like this like one whole planet there are many countries you're one CEO out of the thousands so that keeps you humble but at the same time if you can remember that you're truly unique there's not another Neha and there's not another grad that gives you confidence. So whatever you're here to share with the world, whatever uh, the way I perceive things or the way Neha, this unique combination of mind, body, soul is perceiving and, you know, putting out things is very, very unique, then that can give you confidence. So if you can move with these two things that can keep you humble. And yeah, learning, learning, learning is a, there's always so much to learn, so much to learn. We don't even know what we don't know, right?
0: Yeah. So, I, have, I have found marketing to be definitely a, a humbling, inspiring experience. Uh, yeah. it's I think one of the things that's fascinating to me about marketing today, uh, and I think this is just becoming more pronounced, is that you are essentially testing and retesting different hypotheses, and so you're a marketing scientist. And as a scientist, you're often failing. You know, Edison tried thousands of light bulb designs before he got on the design that worked. And you know, I think there's a great quote by Edison, and I have to look it up, but it's along the lines of, you know, I'm not a great inventor; I'm a I'm a great failure. You know, sure. I, he tried and tried and tried and tried. He was very persistent. It was a, he had an interesting habit. He didn't sleep. He didn't like sleeping because he thought it was being unproductive. So he had a chair, and it was on a metal plate. And he would hold a ball bearing in his hand, and then he would fall asleep in the chair. And when his hand relaxed enough to release the ball bearing, it would hit the metal plate, wake him up, and he'd go back to work. Isn't that interesting. <laughs> Probably not. Probably not. Highly uh, recommended by sleep experts. Yeah.
1: That was,
0: not the worst. Okay. <laughs> anyway, so but I, I think I think part of it too is like where do you get your confidence from? And I think some people get their confidence from thinking they're all that in a bag of chips. I think they're you know, just a very interesting news article today, um, which is the celebrity attorney Michael Avenatti uh, was sentenced. And, you know, he's like a celebrity lawyer. He uh, rose to fame as Stormy Daniels' lawyer. Uh, at one point, people were talking about him for running for office. Mm. Um, either, you know, I think I think they were talking about him running for office uh, in a presidential context and certainly a Senate context. And, you know, he was like, he was on top of everything. And the next thing you know is he's threatening Nike. And they... Didn't take that lying down. Good for them. It was amazing, actually. And he got convicted, and now he's going to spend 30 months in jail. Now, that's a humbling mm-hmm. experience. And so I do, I do see these people who kind of let hubris take over, and they start to think they're you know, untouchable. And I think that's always, always sad to see, but it happens very frequently. But I, I think confidence for me, when, I've been, when I observe when I'm confident, is that what I'm learning or what I've seen is that I'm increasingly confident as I move through my career that the program, activity, idea will work because I'm basing it on stuff I've done before, things I've seen work before. So it's less about me thinking that I'm so great and more about I know this worked for blank. It'll probably work again here. It may not, but probably work. And that—that that to me has been an interesting evolution. That it's—it's it's really hard to get there when you're younger because you don't have that giant database of experiences to draw on. So, so for younger folks who want to stay humble but they also want to be confident, how do they build that? How do they build that confidence?
1: Yeah, and, and I mean, I think it's a very interesting question. And from my perspective, and it's just my perspective, my opinion. I think confidence that stems from something outside is temporary. Even if something worked five times, there's always a possibility that doesn't work six times. Right? And if you're basing your confidence on something that's outside, I think there'll always be that instability in life. True confidence and, and like talking about people who, you know, project themselves... If you look deeper, there's a lot of insecurity there. The need to project mm. yourself as someone really big and I'm this and I'm that. If you look deep down under the herd, like deeper, there's some need for validation that's making them do that. So for me, from my perspective, true confidence can only stem from the inside. And it doesn't matter whether you're, three years old, or 10 years old, or you're 17 years old, you have to meet my nephew. The guy is the most confident person I've ever met in my life. He's yeah. barely 17 now, but he's been that way since he's a, he's been a kid. Interesting. Like, abs- he's in, he never, he, like, and I think he may be a little bit more intelligent than some other kids his age, but he's absolutely confident in the value that he's here to add to the world and and i think it stems from inside knowing who you are knowing your true nature is what brings you confidence yeah. and 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 because externally things will keep changing some day the same strategy will work and another day the same strategy may land you in trouble but as long as you believe in your ability to be like, no, I am creative. I am resourceful. I am somebody who doesn't give up and I can handle whatever it is that comes my way. Now that is confidence, like in my opinion.
0: Either. So how do, you, how do you build that if you're not born with that?
1: Learning about yourself having a better understanding of who you are, who you truly are, not who you are as this marketing person or as this somebody scared or as this student. Who are you? We've had so many experiences in life, but there is a part of you that is untouched and has been observing all the highs and all the lows. And if you can truly Ground into that aspect of your being, then come what may, because you know this is this is the nature of life. There will be people who will love you, and there will be people who will not like you, like people loved Mahatma Gandhi to the point that he's the father of the nation, and then there were others who assassinated him. Mm. so this is getting grounded, learning about the nature of life that it is how the experience of life is. Who I am truly is unaffected by any of these things. So then you can walk through fire and go through highs and lows with that state of immense confidence and grounding in yourself. So how do you develop it? Spending a little time learning about ourselves. And I think that is the fundamental deficiency in our education system. Mm. for, 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 for this, the 20th century, at least it's all learning about this subject and that subject and this and all of that externally, but we're not, we're not spending time learning about ourselves. And that is why anxiety has never been higher. And all of those kind of things have never been higher because we're, we're not getting grounded in who we truly are.
0: So do you have a humility breath or a, a grounding breath or (laughs) if I, if I want to start to go down that path, right. I want to learn who I truly am. Breathing is clearly a big part of it.
1: Yeah. Just spending like a few moments. Yeah. I mean, just observing your breath just even for 60 seconds a day and then slowly like, what is this phenomena? How is your breath moving in and out? I remember when my mom passed away, this is very personal. She was in an ICU and she was on a ventilator. And when we went in and, you know, we wanted to tell them, okay, like, do whatever you want. And they're like, no, we're here to declare. And I was like, declare what? Like, you know, the time of death is so and so. And then they took us in and the ventilator was pumping the air in and out of her body. So the moment I saw her, we were like, hey, she's breathing. Mm. She's alive. And the nurse turned around and said, No, that's the ventilator. That moment for me has been a life changing moment because if just the action of pumping air in and out of your body could keep you alive, then nobody could die. Like, you know, the ventilator was doing that. But it's something more that keeps us alive, you know, that force, that life force energy in us, which keeps the heart beating, which keeps this air coming in and out and really looking into that, um, is what, you know, spending like five minutes a day doing this internal reflection on, okay, you know, how, what is keeping me alive? What's happening? How is my mm-hmm. mind functioning? How, how do I experience things in my body, in my mind? It's a beautiful experiment. And, uh, I think developing, this um, there's something called self-study, studying the self. And it's not something I can tell you or any teacher can tell you because each one of us is unique and each one of us has to do it for ourselves. My teacher's knowledge cannot become my knowledge. I have to do it myself. My teacher can give me tools, but I have to do it. And one of those simple tools is just sitting and doing some
0: self-study. Self-study, okay.
1: So here's a breath to do that, and um,
0: self-study breath. I like that.
1: Self-study breath.
0: I don't think we've ever done a self-study breath. This is exciting.
1: Okay, so let. What
0: if I don't like what I find? Hmm. See, that's what could be awkward.
1: And it's easier, (laughs) no? And it's easier for us. You you hit it right on the head. It's easier for us to get distract ourselves with what's outside, because we think we'll find something Mm. we don't like you already have a notion about it. This is becoming full prone therapy or something, right? Like we need to cut this.
0: (laughs) No, it's good. No, keep going. I'm loving this. You know, don't stop.
1: Okay. Okay. So yeah, we're scared of what we might find. But the truth is that fundamentally... You're right. You know, there's
0: this epidemic of busyness. Everyone's so busy. I even started off the podcast today talking about it, right? Everyone's Everyone's so busy. Everyone's so busy. Everyone's so busy. And it's like... Partly is that, are we just staying busy so we don't have to tackle the really tough questions? So we don't have to face the real issues in our lives? Maybe.
1: Maybe. And, and there is that also, you know, herd mentality or whatever. This is what we're supposed to do and we're just mindlessly doing it. But I just want everybody who's listening to know that you are love. You know, love is not an emotion. It's what we're made up of. So don't be afraid to explore yourself, to learn about yourself. Like it's, you could spend a lifetime just learning about yourself. And when it's, 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 it's getting me, I'm so, I'm getting excited talking about this because when you can really, truly start to learn about yourself, then it's so freeing and it's so like you're you're going to be like, oh my God, I'm like the best dude on this planet. And I didn't know I was looking for love outside and I was looking for validation outside. I was looking for some words of appreciation, but hey, I have all of that already. And then the quality of your life is just like a whole different level. So let's Hmm. go to the
0: I love it. I love it. See, you were all skeptical when we were talking about this topic today and see it turned out awesome.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Look
0: <laughs> how deep we got. See, we always do. All right. Okay. Let's do a self-study what are you calling breath. this? Self-study breath. Okay. okay I'm all ready. So
1: it's um, rather it's a self-study practice. So let's sit back easily and comfortably. Palms are open to the sky, resting on your thighs. Eyes are closed. And now just become aware of your breath. Notice the air is moving in and out of your body. And just for a few moments, we are going to follow the breath. Notice the breath moving in through your nostrils, taking a U-turn at the top, going into your windpipe and into the lungs and out of the lungs, through the windpipe, out of the nostrils and out of the body. Just follow the breath for a few more breaths. Moving in, become aware of the quantity of air moving into the nostrils. What is the temperature? Feel it brushing against the inner lining of your nostrils. And notice as you breathe in, the belly is expanding. And follow the breath out. Notice the temperature of the air leaving your body. Notice what happens in the body as you're moving, as the breath is leaving the body. With every inhalation, you're becoming alive, and every exhalation is the last act of life. Notice, is the breath choppy or is it smooth? Is it labored or is it effortless? And take a deep breath into the belly, into the chest. Hold the breath. And very, very slowly breathe out through the nose. And notice as you're breathing out, the body is getting relaxed. We'll do this one more time. Full breath in. Hold. Very, very slowly breathe out through the nose. Notice the body getting relaxed. Every single incoming breath is energizing the body. And every single outgoing breath is bringing relaxation and relief. Take a normal breath in. And as you breathe out, relax your shoulders and neck. Relax your forehead, the eyebrows. Relax your eyes. Relax the lips, relax your jaws, and normal breath in, and as you breathe out, relax your whole body, your whole body, and when you're ready, you can slowly open the eyes. So if you do this practice of observing your breath every day, you'll discover different aspects of your being. You know, like if you're feeling angry, observe your breath. You'll notice, you'll, you'll become aware of different types, you know, what's happening inside more acutely. That's a good way to study yourself. It starts there.
0: Wow, that was great. I really like where we went with this one. Let's, uh maybe we could uh continue this discussion next week. I think it'd be good to I think this is your we're, we're sort of touching on something that's at the core of a lot of a lot of issues and challenges that people have. So I'd love to spend a bit more time on it. So let's think through some some exercises and I'll I'll maybe pull some other data together and we'll go from there. But that was that was an awesome episode, as always. <laughs>
1: You know, I love talking to you. Thank you. And I think I'll, you know, become addicted to our Monday sessions. It's really fun. We don't know what's going to happen, right? That's part yeah, of the fun. <laughs> you never know what's going to
0: happen. That's right. I know. That's uh, kind of fun I am. All right. Well, Neha, the Breath Yogi. Neha, thank you so much. And I am looking forward to, and I will see you next week. Uh, For the CXM experience, I'm Grad Kahn, CXO, Chief Experience Officer at Sprinkler, and I'll see you next time.